My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to part two of a special episode of Service, Stories of Hunger and War, a production from iHeartRadio and me, your host, Jacqueline Raposo. Interviewing World War II veterans, you start to notice some similarities in their stories. A simple one, how they crossed the country from their hometowns to base camps to deployment and back again. I come home on a train five days before Christmas. They put me in a train, had a duffel bag, I got on a troop train. It took me five days. I said, you're going to ride a troop train. You're going to be held up forever. I got a seat, and that's it. This shared experience, taking a troop train, is one of many that forms their identity as World War II veterans. But then, depending on other identifying circumstances, that experience might not be the same for all service members. Pat D'Ambrosio describes his trip to base camp like this. We went down on a Pullman. We used to have to walk through the kitchen car and then come back, pick up our plates and go to our Pullman and sit down and eat in our chairs. George Hardy remembers his Pullman trip with this addition. Leaving Cincinnati, you go to the South. And the laws in the South say white and colored must be separated as far as eating. So they had this heavy curtain across with a few tables behind it for Afro-American. And the curtain was weighted so that if someone went through it with clothes on the bottom. So then different experiences between service members by race. There are also unifying identities within branches, too. Oh, give me a gun and away I'll run to join my Uncle Sam. I know the exercise will never harm me. For ever since I took a wife, I've been in battles all my life, and I'd feel at home if they let me join the army. Let's let Military Times define the branches of the armed forces for us in a way we might best understand, as candy bars. The army, that massive group makes up a bag of M&Ms. They're standard, fail-safe, and better in numbers. The Marines are like Kit Kats. They're rough on the outside, but complex and conflicted on the inside. The Navy, those guys are Reese's peanut butter cups, pretty on the outside and salty within. 
The Air Force are the fancy Lindor truffles of the group. Underneath that pretty packaging, they're kinda nuts. And the Coast Guard? Evidently, they're an almond joy. You either love them or hate them and nothing in between. If those definitions don't sit right with you, head to Military Times on Instagram, where you can see the branches as defined by fast food joints and Christmas desserts. What the heck was that? The point is, especially in this modern social media era, bonding through identity has become a huge part of how we move through the world. As we explored in the first half of this episode, that works to our benefit when trying to make empowered choices and supporting one another but it works to our disadvantage when we judge others for labels we snap onto them, or when we set up a system of law that defines who gets what based on those identities. You didn't start speaking about your military life till very recently. Yeah, but the reason that I didn't talk about it is because I saw how ill treatment was inflicted on so many Afro-Americans. I was fortunate. But for every individual like myself, there was a hundred that were not treated right. This is the way life was. That's Navy veteran William Walker with his children, Bill and Leslie. Now, William had a good experience in the Navy. He rose to Chief Petty Officer First Class and, having been exposed to educated and successful African-American families who encouraged him forward, Leslie calls the military the great leveler for their family. But his experiences were shaped by segregation and racism both in the service and when he returned home to Ohio in 1946. So let's compare William's story to a Caucasian veteran of his branch, Robert Hansen. Now, William and Bob could not have started out from more disparate circumstances. Here's William remembering food during his Great Depression childhood. My father would work down at the market. He was befriended by a butcher and he would bring some leftover food home. My mother would cook it, and we ate a variety of foods that people nowadays never heard of, like chicken feet. And now, Bob. Here was my dad, a professor at the Harvard Business School. We had two maids. Mother was able to kind of sit back. This was almost a fairy tale life. Without money for college, William enlisted and went through several schools of naval training to first head up PT Rescue Team stateside, and then he oversaw supply hold teams in the Pacific Theater. An Ivy League athlete, Bob was recruited to ski as an officer in training stateside before he then officered PT boats in the Pacific. After the war, Bob became an assistant to a colonel. William returned to Ohio and took the GI Bill to dental school. Now, here are some relatively mild examples of the reception William received upon returning home that just didn't fit into his episode. After the service, I learned a lot. I recall going to the restaurants in Cleveland, Clark's Restaurant. I had washed pots and pans in Clark's Restaurant, and they wouldn't serve us. And when I think about being turned away from the athletic club because I was black, it still hounds me. All the things that I have accomplished, those still left a mark on me and will until I die because you can't eradicate that. That happened. That was for real. Of 16.5 million World War II veterans, around 1 million of them were African American. Yet their stories were silenced in coming decades. For the documentary version of Maria Hahn's book Breath of Freedom, Filmmakers had to comb hours of film to pull 10 minutes of footage of the tan soldiers, as black media called them. 
It's been comparably impossible for me to find clear audio of African Americans during this wartime. For 70 years, there didn't seem to be a place for William's service story. I was growing up, I never remember us ever having any white people in the house. I never recall my father mentioning a Caucasian friend. I remember him telling me the incidents that he's related here and the anger and bitterness that he carried. And then something happened. Dad, could you explain when you were on the honor flight? The Veterans Network Committee is one of several organizations that takes veterans to visit hallowed grounds and war memorials. This summer, Bill took William on a trip with the VNC's honor flight to Washington, D.C. When we came off the plane, my son was pushing me in a wheelchair. And I never witnessed anything like that in my life. People were greeting us. Little white children would come up and want to take the pictures with me. And their fathers and their mothers wanted to shake my hand. And I almost lost it. I really did. I almost, because I didn't believe that there was that type of gratitude from somebody. It was one of the greatest moments in my life. The only other World War II veteran on that trip was Bob. We were being interviewed and congratulated, and wherever we went, he wanted to instill upon the public that black veterans were ill-treated and did not get the service recognition that we should have gotten, and how he apologized for it. Everywhere we went, he and I were holding hands. I have a friend forever. Now, I glazed over William's trials and accomplishments because he tells his story powerfully in his episode, Service Within the Service, and I urge you to hear him out fully in that. For now, I'll let Leslie describe the significance of what honor flight shifted for their family. I was flabbergasted to see my father, born in 1925, holding hands and crying with a white man who would have been an officer at that time and would have never interacted with him. And I was so thankful that he was able to experience that kind of healing in his life, that the military actually has gone full circle. Because I used to ask him when I was a kid, I used to say, why is it that you grew up here and you're the only one who made something out of himself? Nobody else was driving Cadillacs. I remember when I was 10 years old, my father got the first Cadillac. I will never forget. I was in the fourth grade. He drove that car to pick me up from school. It, it was long. It was black. And it was on a white drop top, white interior. The kids' mouths dropped. I was like, ah! But I'm saying there was no other family. He was alone in creating this reality for us. And I did not realize how important the military had been bringing him out of his environment and then discriminated against him and then turn around in the end. It's also creating healing. This guy, Bob, has called the house. There's no white friends calling up to speak to Bill. And he's excited about it. And Bob is excited. But, you know, it's beautiful. I got Bob on the phone to ask straight out if this was a one-off of doing the right thing. It ends up, he'd continue to spend his life fighting to move the world forward, from pushing the Americans with Disabilities Act into law in 1990 to his current fight for elder care rights. Meeting Bill, I knew what the hell he had gone through and is still going through. I think it's disgusting. And let's put it this way. We haven't even started to break these barriers. Black service members now make up almost 17% of active-duty military. Progress is being made. Yet, Black commissioned officers only make up 8% of the armed forces. And there's so much healing still to be done. 
For those of us who can, let's keep chipping away at these barriers, one conversation at a time. I want to say this in final. I'm proud of my family, and I want them to carry on. And don't be defeated about a negative incident in your life, because you can overcome it. To learn more about William and the VNC Honor Flight, head to servicepodcast.org. When we return, we sit down with Cindy Stevens of the Freedom Pantry for Veterans. Stay with us. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that, plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Welcome back to Service, Stories of Hunger and War from iHeartRadio. 
I'm Jacqueline Raposo. Food doesn't know demographic boundaries. Everyone eats. That's Sarah Sicard, branded content manager for Military Times and the genius behind the military branches as Instagram posts. These food-forward posts get a huge response from service members, and the conversations are a delight to witness. Food can serve as sort of a bridge in that civilian-military divide that we talk so much about in the military community. Now, for a podcast that focuses on war and food stories, we've taken our time getting to how food helps veterans acclimate back into civilian life. But honestly, with organizations that plan massive memorials or fly veterans around the world, food talk is comparatively easy. Anytime a politician or an entertainer from the USO comes to visit a base, what they tend to be doing is either serving food or sharing a meal with them. That's sort of a way to create common ground for people who otherwise don't necessarily have much in common. And the Candy Post does that too. It sort of explains the military culture in a way that anyone could understand. For around 25 years, Cindy Stevens has run the Freedom Pantry for Veterans in Yakima, Washington an all-volunteer nonprofit that works to fill in the gaps left by larger organizations. We have food, non-perishables, we have clothing, we have blankets, cold winter gear for our homeless veterans. We do Christmas and Thanksgiving boxes. She says the greatest challenges to our veterans largely come from two places. First, many civilians think veteran care is entirely covered by government programs. And so don't think to donate food, clothing, and home items to small pantries like hers. There is some facilities that are amazing, but they claim some veterans make too much money, whether it be they're getting Social Security on top of whatever their pension is, so they're turned down for food stamps or anything else. Some of our veterans can't afford their medication. Then there's the sense of pride that runs strong through many of those who have served. I've had to talk a couple of veterans into getting what is due them because they're like, no, I don't want to take from somebody else. Veterans accepting assistance is where it gets particularly personal for Cindy. Her grandfather was a World War II Navy veteran who lived with injuries his VA told him were unrelated to his service. After that, he refused to go back there for help. He then got cancer that spread rapidly and killed him within a year, two days before her 16th birthday. He was a very strong man who, for him, it was all about loving this country and helping others. I promised him then that I would never let another vet go past that I would turn my back on. I would make sure that in some way I would help. She found herself in a similar challenge a few years ago, when her father-in-law passed from cancer only 24 hours after being diagnosed by a PET scan she'd been fighting the VA to give him for over a year. The head guy called and said, I'm sorry, we did not do right. I'm sorry. This is the kind of scene I have had with our veterans' care. Aside from the disparities in VA location quality, there are veterans denied care entirely because they were discharged with an other-than-honorable label, which is often given to those who leave the service because of PTSD or other mental health issues. 1.7% of World War II veterans were denied VA care as such. Today, 6.5% are, despite bipartisan pressure to expand not only coverage, but communication with the many veterans who often lose out because of misinformation and limited windows to accessing newly available resources. Hearing the details of each veteran's story is how Cindy discovers what they need. But she says veterans and service members are used to being somewhat at attention at official events and don't want to open up. 
they've been told people don't want to listen, so they don't give off too much information. At a table, it's more of a family setting. It breaks down those walls. And so the pantry hosts veteran thank you dinners and summer cookouts, where Cindy will smoke up a bunch of meat and they'll all sit together. Food can remind them of their time in where they're talking with their saddle buddies. Because when they're serving, they're on watch. They're on the ball. They have to just keep their senses heightened. When they're eating, it's camaraderie. That's where they let down the guard. In other circumstances, just talking about food has helped her to dissipate dangerous situations. This veteran was on the verge of suicide. He was isolated. He just felt no one wanted to help, nobody wanted to listen. You know, it was Christmas time, and it was to the point where he was ready to go. I was talking to him on the phone. I spent the entire time cooking, getting his mind off of where he was at. He's like, you need to go take care of your family. It's Christmas. I said, no, I am here to listen to you. You are important to me. We were talking about food, and he was asking questions, and he started feeling comfortable and letting me know of some of the things that he had gone through. He said, you know, we're trained to follow orders, what to do, what not to do. When we were discharged in 1945, the military told us, you're a civilian now. Take off your uniform and just get out of here. And then when we were come back, we're discarded like used combat boots on the side of the road. There was no mention of your mental status. We're told to just go on with life, but we're not trained on how to assimilate back into society. And you drank until you passed out. I ended up learning that some of these guys feel safer if you're giving them direction. And so we got him into a hospital, and I told him, I promise you, you'll be taken care of, and I'll take care of your mother, because his mother lived by herself, and he was worried that she wouldn't be taken care of. We had food delivered to her. Whatever it could take, I was taking care of her. He's doing really well today. He went back to school to become a counselor in the hospital that he was at to help others. It happened over Christmas dinner while I was preparing it. Over the phone in another state, because someone took the time to listen. But we almost lost him. Of course, not all of us are equipped to do such work. But to get conversations started, Cindy offers a simple invitation. If you just tell someone thank you for your service and I appreciate your service, that automatically lets them know that you care. On a day-to-day basis, they don't get that. If they say you're welcome or if they light up, you can say, I would love to know more. Some don't want to talk because the experience was too harsh to talk. And you can tell the difference. Just saying, I'm here, I would listen, would be a big door opener. Or take a page out of Sarah's playbook and try food humor. The Army. That massive group makes up a bag of m and That gentle ribbing between the branches is a huge part of military culture. It's like sibling rivalry. And so you're coming in on some of the major characteristics of every branch, but you're pursuing it in a way that is extremely humorous, very accessible, and it encourages a laugh and it encourages that sort of rivalry to continue, but in a fun capacity. No matter which angle you aim from, 
on Instagram, in a phone call, or over something delicious. We urge you to invite your loved ones to the table to share their service stories. If you are comfortable enough to listen, they will talk. They have wonderful stories, stories you will not see in history books. Especially this time of year. The Freedom Pantry for Veterans relies on donations of holiday items like turkeys and hams, toys for veterans' children, warm blankets, and the items they supply year-round like canned and packaged goods, hygiene items, and pet food. You can make monetary donations or order directly from their Amazon list at a link at servicepodcast.org. We thank Cindy, the Livingston County Veterans Association, the Tuskegee Airmen, Military Times, the Japanese American Veterans Association, the Greatest Generations Foundation, and the Veterans Network Committee for connecting us with veterans this season. Find more details and photos from this episode and hear extra audio clips at our Instagram and Facebook. We're at Service Podcast and at servicepodcast.org, where you can also send a message to our featured veterans. Service is a production of iHeartRadio. This episode was produced and edited by me, Jacqueline Raposo. Misty Bodiger was the associate producer for this episode. Kobe McDonald and Andrew Stelzer engineered our interviews with Lawson, Elizabeth Emery with William, and Junie Ramekin with John. Our supervising producer is Gabrielle Collins. Our executive producer, Christopher Hasiotis. Thank you for listening. Most of all, thank you to those serving and those who have served. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.